Dr. Ken Hovind actually began as an educator teaching uh, anatomy, biology, physical science, mathematics, earth science. And in 1989, he began uh, creation science evangelism. And through that, we have become familiar with the ministry that he has. And so he continues as an educator now just on a broader scale. So, Dr. Hovind, we welcome you to Grace Bible Church. Thank you for coming and ministering to us. All right. Well, it is an honor to be here in Colorado Springs. My aunt and uncle lived here in Colorado Springs. That's the Pop family there. Good to have you here. How far a drive is it for you folks? 40 minutes. 40 miles. 40 miles. Oh, two hours. Okay. Good. Well, good to have you here, brother. Thank you so much. My name is Ken Hovind. I taught high school science for 15 years. And now for 16 years, I've been an evangelist traveling all over doing seminars on creation, evolution, and dinosaurs. How many got to come to the debate two nights ago? Anybody out there? All right. And how many have seen one of my videos before or been to a seminar before? Okay. How many have not? And how many do not understand the question so far? <laughs> Several. Good. Well, I'll tell you what I believe. I like the music here, brother, the old-fashioned hymns. You know, I'm in a lot of those churches where they do the 7-Eleven music. You know, you got the same seven words 11 times. Okay, uh, I heard it the first time, you know. <laughs> get, some, get some meat on these bones in there. I like those old hymns. And that's awesome. Oh, we never did get power for my computer. I'm going to run out of battery here. Somebody's going to plug that in for me, and I don't know what happened. Is there? Okay, good. All right, I tell people what I believe right up front, because I don't like anybody sneaking up on me, so I won't sneak up on you. I believe the Bible is the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of the living God. I believe it from cover to cover. I even believe the cover on mine says Kent Hovind. I believe that, okay? And in case you don't know, <clears throat> the Bible is your basic instructions before leaving earth. You probably ought to read the book because you're going to be gone for a really long time when you leave this place. You want to make sure you're going to the right spot. That'll be very, very important. Okay. Now, <clears throat> one of my jobs as a Christian is to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that's in me. <clears throat> and I think in the last 200 years, <clears throat> the Christians have not done a very good job of answering this atheist philosophy. And we've allowed this evolution religion to take over our school system, as you saw night before last. That professor said, if anybody teach it, no, 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 nobody's going to teach in my department and be a creationist. That was very revealing. Okay. And we've allowed this evolution philosophy to take over our legal system, and our whole, our whole thinking process now often is governed by a pagan philosophy. And I want to do something about it. Now, there's three things I try to accomplish. Number one, I want to strengthen your faith in the Word of God. Number two, if you're not saved, I'm going to try to get you converted. I'll tell you right up front, I'm after you. Okay. So don't get upset if it happens. All right. Number three, if you're saved and you're not doing much for the Lord, I'm going to try to make you uncomfortable. Fair enough? You know where we're headed. Okay. This is not my wife. That's just a picture of her. Last month was our 32nd anniversary, and we sat down and figured out how much money we have spent since we got married. We have spent all of it. And we live in Pensacola, Florida. Looks like we're going to miss this hurricane. We've been hit pretty hard the last couple of years with the hurricanes, but uh, at least you get to see them coming. You know, our earthquakes, you don't get to see those coming. And we have three kids, one of each. And I got them all married off, and the dog died. So I made it. Praise God, I'm home free. And everybody always asks me, was that you what you saw on America's Funniest Home Videos? Yes, it was. My daughter's wedding has been aired now, I think, 14 times on America's Funniest Home Videos. Let me get the mic down here so you can hear this. You might have to crank it up just a little bit there. Let's see here. 
for as much as you, Paul, and you, Marissa, have freely and deliberately chosen each other and have openly declared your desire to be united in marriage, that in the presence of God and these witnesses, you pledged your love for each other. Hello? Yes, Lord? No, I wasn't calling you. Okay. Um, the Lord says he would like you to know that uh, what he has joined together, let no man put asunder. Paul, uh, you, you may kiss your bride, he says. That was the Lord calling, you know, you got to answer when he calls. Anyway, so got them all married. Dog died. It's wonderful. And so far, I have four grandkids. And for those that don't know yet, that's God's reward for not killing your own kids when you thought about it. Okay. <clears throat> Hang in there. It'll be worth it all. And I've got quite an interesting tribe. They all live right around me and all work in our ministry. Somebody said, Brother Hoven, how many people work at your place? I said, about half of them. <laughs> on a good day. <laughs> we do an awful lot of work around there because we want to change people's worldview. How do you view this world? The Russian atheist astronomer came to America one time years ago, and he said, either there is a God or there isn't. Both possibilities are frightening. I thought, man, that's a powerful statement. See, if there's a God, we better find out who he is and find out what he wants and do what he says. Because he owns this place. I mean, he's the boss, right? If there is no God, we're in trouble. We're hurtling through space at 66,000 miles an hour, and nobody's in charge. Scary thought. Your worldview is critically important to answering the four great questions of life. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going when I die? Now, the way you answer those questions depends totally on how you view the world. Some people look at the world and they say, you know, it's amazing. A big bang made this from nothing. That's the atheist, humanistic worldview based on evolution. Other people look at the world and say, you know, there's incredible design. There must be a designer. And that's the creationist worldview. And those two worldviews are the only two that there are, and they are at war with each other. Somebody is wrong. And I enjoy showing them who they are. Sometimes it doesn't do much good, like the other night. I don't think it did any good for those two professors, but it did a lot of good for the students. You know, it's worth doing it for that. I do a lot of debates at universities like that. The guys are a lot smarter than I am. But I've, I beat them because I'm right and they're wrong. You know, it's real simple. Okay? But if the evolution theory is true, <clears throat> how would you answer the four great questions of life? Who am I? And what am I worth? Well, if evolution is true, you're nothing important, that's for sure. You're just a piece of protoplasm that washed up on the beach. You're not worth a thing. Actually, you're part of the problem, you see, because you are one of the polluters of the environment, and the more of you we can get rid of, the better. That's normal thinking if evolution is true. Where did I come from? Well, if evolution is true, you came from a cosmic burp about 20 billion years ago. Why am I here? What's the purpose of life? Well, if evolution is true, there's no purpose to life, so you might as well have fun. If it feels good, do it. Where am I going when I die? Well, if evolution is true, you're going to the grave and you're going to get recycled into a worm or a plant. But see, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, if that's true, that puts a real different set of answers to those questions. That means we better try to figure out who God is and find out what he wants and do what he says, because he created this place, he owns it, and he makes the rules. Plain and simple. But boy, the devil doesn't like that. The devil came to Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said to the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Question mark. The first sentence out of the devil's mouth recorded for us in God's word is, 
a question designed to make Eve doubt God's word. And he's still doing the same thing today. Satan wants you to doubt God's word, which is why we have so much confusion over all the Bible versions. Where is God's word? I don't know. I got part of it. You got part. I hope so. I don't know. He, he always breeds confusion. We cover more on that in video number seven. The second thing he said to the woman, he said, ye shall not surely die. He's calling God a liar. The third thing he said was, Eve, if you eat off that tree, ye shall be as gods. And right there is where the whole idea of evolution got started. It didn't start with Charlie Darwin. It started with Satan in the Garden of Eden. He wants you to think, <clears throat> you can become a god. Yes, boys and girls, we started off like an amoeba. And we're evolving. We're getting bigger and better and stronger and smarter. And someday we're going to sail around the universe and discover new life forms like Star Trek. People ask me all the time, they say, Hovind, do you think there's intelligent life on other planets? I say, no. I taught high school 15 years. There's not much intelligent life on this planet. <laughs> Satan's a liar. He said, you can be like God. Well, I'll tell you what, the Mormons have swallowed that. They teach their people, if you're a good Mormon, you get to become God. And if you're a good Mormon wife, when you, go, when you die, you get to be eternally pregnant, producing spirit babies. My wife don't want to go. He said, that's not heaven, honey. By the way, there are some great books to reach Mormons, and they need the gospel just like everybody else. There's an awesome website if you want to study Mormonism. U-T-L-M, UtahLighthouseMission.org. Incredible. Two people, former Mormons for 30 years, have the most incredible material on Mormonism. I was surprised to find out some of the Catholic theologians have taught, and the catechism still says, we can become God. Now, most Catholics don't believe that, and they don't even know some of the leaders have taught that. The idea that we can become God is ludicrous, okay? We've got a good book, Answers to My Catholic Friends, Answers to Mormons, Answers to Jehovah's Witnesses. We just added these to our uh, website here recently. Uh, Kenneth Copeland said, Adam in the Garden of Eden was God manifest in the flesh. You don't have a God in you. You are one. I'm sorry, Kenneth. You're nuts. You don't, you're not God, okay? Hagen said, the believer is as much an incarnation as was Jesus of Nazareth. The believer is called Christ. That's who we are. We're Christ. Well, you're crazy too, okay? Job's not available and you couldn't handle it if you had it, okay? Lucifer is the one who wants to be God. Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. See, Satan wants to be God. But the job is not available, so he's all upset about that, and he's mad at God. But he can't do anything to God, so he's mad at us, because we are made in God's image. Did you ever wonder why the devil hates you so bad? It's because you remind him of God. So he lied to Eve and told her she could be like God. Now, Hitler said, if you tell a lie long enough and loud enough and often enough, the people will believe it. He said they're more likely to believe a big lie than a small one. And if you want to get somebody to believe a lie, you have to do it like my two big brothers did with me. I've got two older brothers. They've always been older than I am. Still are today, I believe. But when I was about six years old, I was raised in East Peoria, Illinois. And I came running in for breakfast one morning, and I was the first one there for breakfast. And I got the last banana out of the bowl to put on my cereal. Well, a few minutes later, my two big brothers came in. They said, hey, Kent, is that the last banana? I said, yep. And I got it. How many of you have an older brother or sister? Okay, you know that wonderful feeling you get when you finally pull one over on them? That morning I had them and I knew it. They wanted my banana. 
But big brothers do not beg little brothers for anything. They either beat him up and take it away by brute force, or they lie to him and trick him, trick him out of it somehow. So my brother said, hey, Kent, do you know how bananas are made? I said, no. That's only six years old. It's been proven in laboratory tests. The brain doesn't even start to grow until kids are 18 to 20. How many parents can verify that one from raising kids? I said, I said, no. How are bananas made? And they said, well, down in South America, they have these spiders that live up in the trees. And when they die, all their legs fold up and mold begins to grow on the dead spider legs. And a banana is nothing but dead, moldy spider legs. I said, you guys are lying to me. You just want this banana because you know it's the last one. They said, no, brother, we're not lying. Cut that thing in half and look in the middle. You can still see the black spots where his legs were. I did not eat bananas for nearly three years after that. <laughs> they lied to me. And they got the banana that morning, too, by the way. Uh, have you ever been lied to before? You know, I would not have believed the lie if it hadn't been for those black spots. See, if you want to get somebody to believe a lie, you have to mix it with some truth. That's a technique they've used for years to kill rats. You don't give the rat a bowl of poison. You give the rat a bowl of good food with a little poison mixed in. See, rat poison is 99.995% good food. There's very little poison in rat poison. It's the same technique they've used for years to sell Marlboro cigarettes. They mix them in with cowboys. Now think about it. You can watch any Marlboro commercial. There's something about a cowboy on there someplace. What is the connection between smoking Marlboro and cowboys? Do all cowboys smoke Marlboro? No. Do you have to smoke Marlboro to be a cowboy? No. If you start smoking Marlboro, do you become a cowboy automatically? No. You may smell like a horse, but you are not a cowboy. Okay? Actually, it's been proven in laboratory tests that nobody in the world smokes. Nobody smokes. Only the cigarette smokes. The person is the sucker. That's all. I think they ought to put the real name on those things. You know, they ought to be calling them cancerettes, breath rotters, bypass, malignant, phlegm balls, money suckers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Except some truth in advertising. <laughs> but they do the same thing with beer. They always try to associate beer with sports. They get some big football player holding his can of Bud Dumber. Or Bud Stupid. They call it Bud Wiser. It don't make him any wiser, that's for sure. He's got his Bud Dumber, Miller, Low Life, or Dead Dog, whatever it is. He says, man, you drink this stuff and you'll be a football player. Yeah, right. The Bible says, you drink that stuff, you will wreck your life. Who hath woe, who hath contentions, wounds, babbling wounds without cause, redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine. The Bible says, don't even look at it when it gets fermented. Habakkuk said, woe, and him to give his neighbor a drink. The Bible's got a lot to say about this. Don't touch it. One kid said, what's the matter, Hovind? Don't you like beer? I said, I don't know. I've never tasted it. I'm 52 years old, brother. I never had a drop in my life. Well, I've had NyQuil a couple times. but And he said, well, how do you know you won't like it if you don't try it? I said, now, son, that's a brilliant philosophy to live by. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever laid your head under a semi-truck? Well, how do you know you won't like it if you don't try it? You don't have to try everything to figure out if it's good or bad, okay? There are other ways to learn. But this mixing of the good and the bad together is exactly what's going on in our science books. There's a lot of good science in there. I like science. 
I got a PhD in education. Stands for post hole digger. I got one. Okay. There's lots of good science in the books. We have, but there's some poison mixed in there. We're not against the science. I'm just warning people about the poison. We've got Dinosaur Adventureland, a science center, a museum, and a theme park. Come on down right behind Pensacola Christian Academy in Pensacola. We have all kinds of activities there. Uh, lots of neat swings and slides and rides. And we have a blast. Our climbing wall, seven-foot snake. They ate a kid last week. She's gone now. Oh, well. But uh, there's a tarantula you can play with him. Harry is his name. Uh, We've got all kinds of fun stuff to do. Everything has a science lesson and a spiritual lesson. We've had over 50,000 visitors now. Our fourth anniversary is this October if you want to come down. All kinds of fun stuff to do. We like science. We're not against science. We have a mineral display, rock and gem display. One of my guys shot a T-Rex and we hung the head on the building. Okay. Come down there. We have all kinds of fun stuff to do at Dinosaur Adventureland. We have a seven-level maze, a cave crawler, lots of fun stuff to do. Giant 16-foot swing. You jump off here, swing down. Parents say, isn't that kind of dangerous? I say, well, a little bit. But, hey, there's a lot of kids. You can always make another one. So, uh, our museum pretty incredible, full of cool stuff to do down there. We're not against science. Somehow people say, well, you Christians are against science. No, no, no. I'm against poison mixed in the science books. That's all. And there is some poison in the books. We like science. This took two of my grandkids playing by the Triceratops. Um, we have all kinds of homeschool classes. You can come get, check our catalog, get some of those on various topics if you homeschool your kids. We, like, we even teach the kids the scientific way to shoot a rubber band. How many have never seen the scientific way to shoot a rubber band, but would be interested in learning about this? Have never seen it. Okay, let's get that boy right there, the middle one, okay? The older one. You, come on up here, sir. And you haven't, ma'am? What's, what's your name? You want to see this? Come on up. We'll show you. Okay, what's your name? Ashley? How old are you, Ashley? Twelve. I was twelve for a whole year one time. Come on up here, Ashley. And what's your name, sir? Yeah. Derek? How old are you, Derek? Um, Fifteen. Fifteen? How much do they pay you to be good around your house? Do they pay you to be good? No. So you're good for nothing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Take a rubber band, Ashley. All right. See how far down the aisle you can shoot it right there. Ladies, go first. Let's go ahead. Oh, fourth row. Okay. There. Oh, seven rows. Now, I know the scientific way to shoot one. Okay, I want you to watch this carefully. Notice my fingers. Do not leave my hand. See the guys in the sound booth? Now, right about now, you're probably thinking of a question that has five words in it. Are you? What's the question you're thinking of? How do you do that? How do you do that? See, I told you it had five words in it, right? Now, before I teach you how to shoot a rubber band the scientific way, I need to explain something to you. Some kids should not learn how to do some things. Who's responsible for this guy right here? Is he safe with this information? Dad says yes, Mom says no. Oh, what's this mean? And how about this one, Preacher? Is she safe with this information? She's good with it. Okay, now pay attention. Okay. There are two sides to the rubber band. You with me so far? Okay, I saw the blonde hair, so I'm going to go slow. Okay. I was in Alaska, sound asleep at a motel a couple years ago, two in the morning. This car outside would peel out, slam on the brakes, peel out, slam on the brakes. Finally, I got up, got dressed, went outside. It was a blonde trying to get through a flashing red light. (laughs) Now, this guy guy took his blonde girlfriend to her first football game, first football game ever. After they got all done, he said, how would you like the football game? She said, well... I like the big muscles, but uh, I don't understand about the 25 cents. 
He said, what? She said, yeah, at the beginning they flipped the quarter and one guy got it and for the rest of the game they kept hollering, get the quarterback, get the quarterback. Hello? It's only a quarter. <laughs> okay. Now, there are two sides to the rubber band, okay? One side represents your flesh. That's your body. The other side is your spirit. Now, your spirit has to live in your flesh or else you're dead. See, if your spirit ever leaves your flesh, you've got a real problem on your hands. Actually, the neighbors do. But what most people do wrong in rubber band shooting and in real life, they put the same emphasis on the flesh and the spirit. If you pull both sides the same and shoot it, as they fly through the air, the flesh and spirit will be constantly fighting with each other. So all the energy is wasted inside the rubber band. So the secret to high-speed velocity, velocity through a fluid medium, such as the atmosphere, which offers resistance, is to minimize or eliminate the turbulence. In other words, if you wanted to go far, put more emphasis on the spirit by stretching it tighter, and less emphasis on the flesh. One side's tight. I can't hear it. So if you get, let go just right, it'll spin through there. The spirit actually leads the flesh, and you can hit anybody in the room. Just missed the exit sign, right? So, when I'm up here with a whole bag of rubber bands, knowing I can hit anybody in the room, it's an awesome feeling. And some people just can't control that. You understand? You understand? Let's give him a hand. Have a seat there, guys. Thank you so much. The Bible says the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And the reason some of you aren't going to go very far in your spiritual life is right there. You feed the flesh too much. Turn off the TV once in a while, you know, read your Bible. Anyway, we like science. We even make super airplanes. How many saw our airplanes go before church? We'll do some of these at the break here. These airplanes go so far, if they don't land in a tree or on a building, they go all the way to the ground. <laughs> And they really teach a cool lesson. They'll go over 400 feet. We'll do some of those later today. We're not against science. I'm just against poison mixed with the science. That's all. And I'm afraid in our science books, there's a lot of poison mixed in. Let me show it to you. Here's a first grade textbook. They tell the kids in first grade, Boys and girls, Earth has changed much since its formation four and a half billion years ago. Well, just hold on a second. Is the Earth four and a half billion years old? No. But if you tell that to a first grader, He's going to believe you. First graders believe everything you tell them. They believe bananas are moldy spider legs. <laughs> I did. And <laughs> tell them again in second grade. Since its formation four and a half billion years ago, Earth has changed. Down at the bottom it says, life too has evolved on Earth. Now this word evolved is a real tricky word. I've done 93 debates now at universities, and I've learned how to win the debate in the first five minutes. All you do is define what you mean by evolution. What does that word evolve mean? That's why you'll see early in the debate we could give a definition to the word. Because the word has six meanings. First would have to be cosmic evolution. So if anybody says to you, do you believe in evolution? Just say, well, what do you mean? Are you talking about Big Bang, star formation and all that? No, I don't believe in that. Are you talking about uh, chemical evolution? Because if the Big Bang's true, the Big Bang produced hydrogen. Okay, then how did we get uranium? You want me to believe these elements evolved from hydrogen? They'll say, well, yeah, fusion in stars. Okay, yeah, but you've got to have the star to make the elements, and you've got to have the elements to make the star. You've got a chicken and an egg problem here. Which brings up the question of, uh, what about uh, stellar and planetary evolution? Nobody's ever seen a star form. 
We don't even have a good theory how they could form. Nobody's got a theory how a star can form. Nobody. But there's enough stars. We see them blow up all the time. Okay, it's called a nova or a supernova. There's enough stars out there that we know about that everybody on planet Earth can personally own 11 trillion stars to yourself. Those are the ones we know about. We don't even know about the ones that we don't know about. Fourthly, there's going to have to be organic evolution. I mean, life has to get started from non-living material. Nobody's ever seen that happen. Don't even have a theory how it could happen. Fifthly, there's going to be macroevolution. That's where an animal changes to a different kind of animal. Did you know nobody's ever seen a dog produce a non-dog? Never. You may get a big dog or a little dog, but you're going to get a dog. And I'll tell you what, a five or six-year-old kid knows that a dog, a wolf, and a coyote are the same kind of animal. I'll show you. Anybody in here five or six? Who's five or six? Don't you have kids in Colorado? That kid back there, what's his name? Brock. I want you to take a test, buddy. Brock, here we have a dog, a wolf, a coyote, and a banana. Which one is different? The banana. Give him a hand, folks. All right. Very good. Hey, Brock, at the break time, I want you to go downstairs in the room down there where all my videos are. You can pick out any free video you want because we've got college professors that can't figure this out. See, the Bible says they bring forth after their kind. Ten times in the first chapter it says that. Ten times. Now, Charlie Darwin wrote a book, it's right here on the table, called The Origin of Species. Wait, wait, wait. What's a species? Nobody's ever given a good definition of species. Dog and a wolf are different species, but they can still bring forth puppies. The Bible says if they can bring forth, they're the same kind. Real simple. Anyway, we'll talk more about that on video four. Lastly, we have what's called microevolution. This is variations within the kinds. You know, big dog, little dog, long hair, short hair, straight tail, curly tail. No question, that happens. But it's always dog. Number six is scientific. The first five are purely religious. So if you're going to discuss evolution with anybody, you have to define what you're talking about or you won't go anywhere in the discussion. More on that on video number four. But uh, teachers are told, stress to the students that the earth is billions of years old. Make sure the kids believe this. Now, preacher, I'm a little old-fashioned, okay? I think in science class, we ought to be teaching science. Things we can observe and study and test and demonstrate. Things like the first law of thermodynamics, which tells us matter cannot be created or destroyed. Well, everything's made out of matter, so if matter cannot be created or destroyed, then how did the world get here? We're here, you know. So that leaves two choices. Somebody made the world, or the world made itself. There's no other choice. Well, there are a few out there on the lunatic fringe who will tell you, we're not really here at all. We just think we're here. Okay. Well, you can forget about those folks, okay? We're here. So either somebody made the world like the Bible says, God created it, or the world made itself like the humanists believe. It's just self-existing. Well, if the world just made itself, how could this happen? Boy, the devil thought about that for a long time. And one day he came up with the Big Bang Theory. How many have ever heard of the Big Bang Theory? I was on the airplane years ago flying from Dallas to San Francisco, the land of the fruits and the flakes. And I happened to sit right next to a professor from UCAL Berkeley. I don't know if you folks up here have ever heard of Berkeley or not, but Berkeley is not a Bible college. <laughs> I got to speak at Berkeley last year for two and a half hours, the most hostile audience on planet Earth. It was so fun. I loved it. But, uh, 
I'm sitting next to the airplane on the airplane on the airplane next to this professor from Berkeley, and we got talking about creation and evolution. Everybody I sit by an airplane wants to talk about that, so I talk about it with him. And he said he believed in evolution. I said, yes, sir, I figured that. You have to, to teach it at Berkeley. I said, tell me, sir, if you believe in evolution, how did the world get here? He said, oh, it came from the Big Bang. I said, really? I'd like to hear about this. He said, you're a science teacher and you've never heard of the Big Bang? I said, oh, yes, sir, I've heard a lot about the Big Bang. And I believe in the Big Bang, but my Big Bang's a lot different than yours. I said, you tell me about your Big Bang and I'll tell you about my Big Bang. And so the professor said, well, I believe about 18 or 20 billion years ago, that's a long time, all the matter in the universe. That's a lot of stuff. By the way, the word universe comes from two Latin words, uni, which means single, and verse means a spoken sentence. You know, we have verse and prose in English. But you know, we live in a single spoken sentence. God said, let there be. God didn't lift a finger to build this universe. He spoke everything into existence. That's amazing. There's a sermon in there somewhere, brother. And if you can't find it, you ain't got no preaching you at all, okay? All the matter in the universe was concentrated into one very dense, very hot region that may have been much smaller than a period on this page. What? Everything in the universe squished into a dot smaller than a period on a page. Wow. That's a crowded dot. And it ain't the first time it happened, boys and girls. This guy says, after many billions of years, all the matter and energy will once again be packed into a small area, no larger than the period at the end of this sentence. Then another big bang will occur. It happens every 80 to 100 billion years. Can you believe? They cut down a tree to print that. Where's Al Gore when you need him? Huh? That's what I want to know. He should have been hugging that tree, that's for sure. Now, this textbook author was brilliant. I could not believe how smart this guy was. He said, boys and girls, nothing really means nothing. You have to be at least that smart to write a book. Okay? He said, not only matter and energy would disappear, but also space and time. However, physicists theorize that from the state of nothingness, the universe began in a gigantic explosion. Say, what? Yes, boys and girls, one day nothing exploded, and uh, here we are. They call that science and put it in a science book? I think I'd call that a fairy tale and put it in the garbage. I said, Professor, uh, what happened to your little dot? He said, well, hold on, 20 billion years ago, we could talk all day on it. Here's Discover Magazine. Where did everything come from? Oh, boy, this ought to be good. Boys and girls, the universe burst into something from absolutely nothing. Zero. Nada. As it got bigger, it became filled with even more stuff that came from absolutely nowhere. How is that possible? Ask Alan Guth. His theory will explain everything. Wow. Yep, the observable universe could have evolved from an infinitesimal region. In the Greek, that's a dot. It's then tempting to go one step further and speculate that the entire universe evolved from literally nothing. You see, boys and girls, we all came from a dot, and the dot came from nothing. <laughs> that's what they want you to believe. I'd call that a fairy tale and throw it in the garbage. He said, well, 20 billion years ago, all the dirt in the universe was drawn into this little tiny dot, and it was spinning. It spun faster and faster, and one day, it exploded. Big bang. And the pieces that flew off began spinning, and they, were, they, were, they became the galaxies, sun, moon, stars, and finally people. Here we are. Nothing but stardust. I said, sir, can I ask you a couple questions, please? He said, sure. What do you want to know? 
I said, well, you told me 20 billion years ago all the dirt got together for the big spin and the big squish and the big bang and all that. I said, where did all this dirt come from? He said, we don't know about that. I said, okay, now hold it. If I told you that I believe about 6,000 years ago God created the heaven and the earth, you're going to say, and where did God come from? And I don't know. But you told me 20 billion years ago there was a big bang and you don't know where the dirt came from. So basically, I believe in the beginning God and you believe in the beginning dirt. Don't tell me my theory is religious and yours is science. No, no, sir. They're both religious. But the news media is going to try to make it look like it is science versus religion. No, no, no. Evolution is a religion. It's not a science. It's a religion, pure and simple. Okay? Everything about it is religious. You have to believe all kinds of things that are never observed and not testable. Not, it's not science. Okay? The difference between the two religions, though, is the evolution religion is tax-supported. Now, for these two timelines, it's the same information right here. If I made the top timeline where one inch is equal to 150 years, like this one is, to show you 20 billion years, my bottom timeline, if it was the same scale, would be 2,100 miles long. That's from Pensacola to Portland, Oregon. I don't want to carry a chart that big, so I made a new scale for the other one, okay? It is not the same scale. Anyway, the professor said he did not know where the matter came from. I said, well, sir, could you tell me where the laws came from? The universe is run by laws. You know, gravity, centrifugal force, inertia, Boyle's law, Cole's law. You can eat that with potato salad. Uh, who made these laws, anyway? Where did they come from? And by the way, why aren't the laws still evolving? Hmm? I mean, why is gravity always the same? Why don't you weigh 10 pounds more one day? You say, well, I do. Well, that's for other reasons, okay? But uh, By the way, where did the energy come from? Who bought the gas to run this machine? The professor said, well, we don't know any of that. I said, well, sir, could I ask you another question? He said, sure. What else would you like to know? I said, else? What do you mean else? You haven't told me nothing yet. I said, does Berkeley have a merry-go-round? How many of you know what a merry-go-round is? You go round, round, round to your puke, okay? He said, no, we don't have a merry-go-round at Berkeley. I said, man, you ought to get one. You could learn some good science off a merry-go-round. If you put some fourth graders on a merry-go-round, any fourth graders in here? Who's in fourth grade? All right, I like fourth graders. I spent the best five years of my life in the fourth grade. That was before they diagnosed ADD. By the time my son was in fourth grade, we all knew what he was going to be when he got out of high school. Thirty-two. <laughs> We're going to put some fourth graders on the merry-go-round and get it spinning clockwise as fast as it'll possibly go. Now, if you have a digital watch, you may not know what clockwise means. I'll, I'll explain it later. We're going to spin the merry-go-round clockwise. The kids go through four phases. They start off in phase one. They're screaming, come on, let's go faster, faster. Can't you go any faster? You get up around 30 miles an hour, you enter phase two where the kids stop screaming. They just quietly concentrate on trying to hang on for dear life. You get up around 60 miles an hour, the kids enter phase three where they start screaming again. But now they're screaming, stop, stop, please slow down. Don't stop, though. Keep going faster and faster. When you get to about 100 miles an hour, you should enter phase four where the kids begin to fly off the merry-go-round. Now, when this happens, you will notice a very interesting phenomena of physics. If the merry-go-round is spinning clockwise, when the kid flies off, the kid will be spinning clockwise until he encounters resistance, like a tree or a pole. 
That's because of a law in physics known as the conservation of angular momentum. You see, if a spinning object breaks apart in a frictionless environment, all the fragments will spin the same direction because the outsides move faster than the inside. The professor said, yes, I know about the conservation laws. I said, well, good then. Would you answer a question for me, please? I said, if the universe started as a swirling dot, shouldn't everything be spinning the same way? He said, well, yeah. I said, I said, then how come two or maybe three planets have uh, backward spin? Why are eight of the 91 known moons spinning backwards? Why do three planets have moons go in both directions at the same time? How did that happen in a Big Bang? Why is the sun 98% hydrogen or helium, but the other planets are less than 1% hydrogen or helium? I mean, if they all spun off the same thing, hello, uh, should be the same stuff. By the way, why are the nine planets so different from each other? Very different composition. And why do some whole galaxies spin backwards? CNN did an article. Goofy galaxy spins in wrong direction. And he said, I don't know. Why do you think they're going backwards? I said, well, sir, it's very simple. You see, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God did it that way on purpose just to make the Big Bang Theory look stupid. <laughs> And it is stupid. Now, I do believe in the Big Bang because the Bible teaches the Big Bang. It says, the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. In the original Greek, that's a Big Bang. So there's going to be a Big Bang. It just didn't happen yet. So kids, if you go to school and some teacher says, do you believe in the Big Bang? You can say, yes, I do. And you better get saved and get ready for it. The Big Bang is coming soon to a city near you. We could spend all day talking about the Big Bang Theory, but the, and there's a great book if you want to get it called The Evolution Cruncher. 900-page book, and it's five bucks. Get that if you want. Should have some downstairs. The second law of thermodynamics tells us everything tends toward disorder. Did you know if you leave something alone for a while, it's going to rot, rust, die, fall apart, or break down? Most of you have a job because of the second law of thermodynamics. That's why you're employed, if you stop and think about it, okay? Everything is falling apart. The Bible teaches that. The heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish. They wax old as doth a garment. Everything is getting worse. Nothing gets better by itself. Take a look at your hairdo when you wake up in the morning. You'll see what I'm talking about. Everything tends toward chaos. Here's Sue at 20. Here she is at 90. And here she is at 3,000, okay? Everything tends toward disaster, right? In fact, all we have to do is nothing. And everything deteriorates, collapses, breaks down, wears out. All by itself. That's what the second law is all about. We're losing energy all the time. Everything's getting worse. But the textbook says we're getting better. Humans probably evolved from bacteria more than four billion years ago. Was your great, 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 great grandpa bacteria? Evolutionists will say, Oh, but don't you know if you add energy, you can overcome the second law? They'll say, you can add energy, you can walk into a room and organize it, you know. And the sun adds energy to the earth because the earth is an open system. Well, that's true, but the universe is a closed system, number one. Number two, adding energy is destructive unless there's something to utilize the energy. The Japanese added all kinds of energy to Pearl Harbor one day. They didn't organize a thing for us, did they? A couple of years later, we returned the favor and added some energy to a few of their cities, didn't we? Didn't organize a thing. They've been adding all kinds of energy to Afghanistan, trying to find that guy with the diaper on his head, and haven't organized a thing. Okay? The sun adds energy to your house, but it's going to destroy the roof on your house. 
The sun's energy is going to destroy your entire house. The sun's energy will destroy the roof on your car. It will destroy the upholstery in your car. The sun's energy will destroy your paint job. There's only really one thing that can use the sun's energy. Chlorophyll. And every little plant cell is more complicated than a space shuttle. We'll get into more of that on video four. But uh, second law of thermodynamics is absolutely true. Evolution thinks they violate it. Evolution is wrong. Now, this textbook shows the kids a fossil starfish. And it says, 3.4 billion years old, the remains of the early ancestors of modern human beings. Was your great, 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 great grandpa a starfish? How about this one? Discover Magazine, last year. Was your ancestor a sea sponge? This is your ancestor. Wow. Who's your daddy? <laughs> now, please don't laugh at this next picture, okay? This is a picture of my brother when he first wakes up in the morning after his first cup of coffee, which apparently was a little too strong. By the way, you've got to warn these kids, next generation. Kids, listen carefully. Do not drink coffee. Because if you drink coffee when you're young, when you get married, your babies will be born naked, illiterate, and upside down. Dangerous stuff, okay? And tea is worse. There was an Indian once who drank four gallons of iced tea. That night, he drowned in his teepee. Anyway, please don't laugh. This is my brother. There he is, right there, okay? Notice what the textbook says. 30 million years ago. Now, kids, let me translate that for you. Anytime a textbook says millions of years ago, what it really means is long ago and far away. It means a fairy tale's coming next, okay? Fairy tale coming up. It says 30 million years ago, these critters evolved. Who oh, does that word again? You've got to watch that one. It says they're ancestral to both humans and modern apes. Ancestors to humans? Grandpa? Well, what big eyes you have, Grandpa. <laughs> uh, the better to see you with, my boy. You know, we've been teaching kids they're nothing but an animal. And today, a lot of them act like animals. Have you noticed that? Barbara Reynolds figured it out. She said, your kids go ape in school. Here's why he's being taught evolution. Guess what, Johnny? You are an animal and share common heritage with earthworms. Uh, you mean I'm just an animal? Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, we're teaching the kids they're just an animal. Do you think that might be affecting how they uh, behave? Do you think maybe there's a connection between what you believe and how you behave? <laughs> Obviously. We're going to cover in the next session some of the effects this ridiculous idea has had. Evolution is not just a dumb idea. It's a dangerous philosophy. We tell the kids, hey, you're an animal. Well, duh, take a look what's happening. I'm going to show you in the next session some of the effects on our society of this evolution theory. And then you say, now, hope and wait a minute. The Bible teaches the earth is only 6,000 years old? That's correct. Well, that goes against what science tells us. Uh, we'll see about that in the third session. How to prove the earth is not billions of years old. But if the earth is only 6,000 years old, then that raises some questions. Uh, what about dinosaurs? Where do they fit in? What about carbon dating? What about the Ice Age? What about the geologic column? How did the light from the stars get here, huh? And what about Grand Canyon? That took millions of years to form, didn't it? 
Well, that's why my seminar is 17 hours long. I'm talking as fast as I can go, okay? But we're going to cover all that on the videotapes as far as we can. Every session today and tonight will be different, and we won't come near finishing it all, so if you want to get the rest, get the blue series of tapes downstairs. Next session, the effects, the dangers of this evolution theory. It's not just a dumb idea. Dangers. So you can trust God's Word. God said He created it all in six days. That's what He said. If that's true then uh, if he's the owner, we better find out what he wants and do it. If you're not sure you're going to heaven, what you ought to do is have somebody take a Bible and show you what this book says, how you can go to heaven. Thirty-six years ago, somebody showed me how to go to heaven. I said, man, I'd like that. I want to get saved. Gave my heart to the Lord. If you're, not sure, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, why don't you stay and talk to me, talk to the pastor, say, look, can you show me what this book says? I want to go to heaven. Now, if you are going to heaven, then let me ask you this simple question. What are you doing for the Lord? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Everybody ought to find something to do. The worst of you can serve as bad examples, if nothing else, okay? You can all do something for God. Now, kids, you can go to sleep, okay? You will never, you will never understand this. Go to sleep, okay? Parents, you'll understand. You know, mom can wash the clothes, dry them, fold them, and set them by the bedroom door. The kid comes in. Doesn't even see them. How many know what I'm talking about? Now, come on. Didn't you see those clothes? Uh-uh. <laughs> I think God's up in heaven looking down at some of his kids saying, uh, can't you find something to do for my kingdom? Do something. Pass out tracks, you know. He said, I don't want to drive anybody off. Oh, what are you going to drive them off to? Hell number two? Hmm? Might as well get... They're not going to get out of here alive anyway, okay? We might as well stir up trouble while we're here. My philosophy. If you're not sure you're saved, come see me. If you're, if you're saved and want to do something for God with your life, maybe you need to hit the altar and say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? I'm yours. Show me what to do. Thank you so much. Break time and then we'll have the airplanes. bow together please in a word of prayer we do thank you Lord that we have been specially created in your image and we thank you for the meaning that that gives to our lives we thank you that we can serve you we can love you and thank you Lord for the privilege that we can know you we can know our creator and our prayer and desire is that as Christians that we would become even more committed to knowing your word and proclaiming it to people who desperately need to know you and to know life through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd also pray, Lord, that you'd continue to teach us so that we might use some of these things to, uh, well, to encourage Christians to serve you and uh, to grow in their walk with you, but also, Lord, to, to point a, a dying culture to where they can find life with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Since this is a worship service and a little different than what you'd normally have at a seminar, I remind you that we haven't truly worshipped simply by hearing the Word of God. We worship when we respond to the Word of God. For some of us, that might mean that there is awe and praise and worship as we thank the Lord that He's created us. For others, that would be perhaps a recognition that there is a Creator and a Redeemer, and I need to trust in Him for my salvation. Uh, and there may be other responses as well, but 
Let me exhort you to not just hear and enjoy and leave unchanged, but to respond to what the Lord is doing. As Dr. Hovind mentioned, there are some people available in the back, even right now. If you would like to dismiss yourself quietly and go back to talk to them, either about your the, the state of your soul and your relationship with God, if you're a Christian who needs to spend some time praying and saying, Lord, since you're the creator, I want to obey and follow you. There are quiet rooms that are around the building where you can find a place to pray or there are some people available in the back and you can be dismissed to go speak with them. I'm going to close this time of prayer in just a moment. If you would like to dismiss yourself right now and do that, you please slip out from your seat, go to the back, let someone know that you need to talk to them about uh, your relationship with the Lord. Lord, we do pray that as we're dismissed and we enjoy some time of fellowship, that we would be able to encourage one another, provoke one another to love and to good works. So much the more as we see the day approaching. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be dismissed in 15 minutes at about 9.30. We'll be gathered together in here for a combined Sunday school. If uh, while you, um, when we dismiss, there is some, there's a place where you can fellowship downstairs. There's some coffee for those of you who are needing that. Or there, I think there are some refreshments downstairs as well. There are videos and books and things that you can see. And uh, please be sure to greet one another. An awful lot of you are visitors. And so we uh, hope that you'll meet each other. And don't just assume that you're the only visitor that is here. Please greet some people and encourage them. And we'll be back up here at about 930. All right. Lord bless you. You're dismissed.